Hi Spark. Happy Easter. We are so excited that we can be together today on this amazing Easter Sunday. Um, as we continue our celebration of Resurrection Sunday together, we're going to continue our study of the book of Ephesians. So pray with me now as we get started. Heavenly Father, God, thank you, Lord, so much for this opportunity to come together to celebrate your resurrection, to celebrate this good news this Easter Sunday afternoon. And we are grateful for the chance to be with one another, to worship you, um, and to be bound together closer to one another as we're also bound closer to you. Um, thank you for doing that. Thank you for gathering us together today. We ask that as we study your word and continue our worship of you in this time, that you would make us aware of your presence, that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that can be awakened and emboldened by this good news this Easter Sunday. We ask all this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, well, welcome to our continued study of the book of Ephesians. And as we persist in that, then let's look at Ephesians chapter 1, beginning in verse 15 through 23. Paul says this, I've heard of your faith. He's talking to the people in Ephesus. I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him, so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power. God put this power to work in Christ when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Amen. Today, our sermon is entitled Resurrection Power. And we're just going to look a little bit about the events of this weekend and that we remember from 2,000 years ago and kind of reflect a little bit on Jesus and Christ's power in all of this. You see, when Jesus rose again, something happened that made the world a different place than it had ever been before. You see, Good Friday brought horror and grief and shock, and loss, and despair for the people that were following Jesus. The very mention of crucifixion, even in polite Roman circles, was taboo. It was the lowest form of capital punishment reserved for slaves and rebels. Rome um, loved to use this and wield this as a tool in their, in their kingdom, in their empire. Um, it was said that at one point they crucified so many Jews that they ran out of wood and just started nailing them to the walls of the city. It was just a, a brutal and horrific way to die, a cursed way to die, reserved not for Roman citizens, but for slaves and rebels. And after Jesus dies, his followers come and before the Sabbath begins, they take his body down off the cross and they go. And thanks to a gift from a wonderful Jewish man, Joseph of Arimathea, um, he gives a new tomb that no one had been in before for Jesus. He doesn't get 
just his bones tossed on the burial heap outside the city, reserved for people who were crucified. He gets a new tomb. And his followers go and they lay him in that tomb. And then the Sabbath begins that evening at sundown, at Friday night. That holy Saturday, because of the fact that it's a Sabbath, a Shabbat, a day of rest, everyone's required to remain at home. They're all staying indoors. They're not going out. And imagine again how 2,000 years ago, Jesus's family and friends and followers stayed inside waiting, afraid, watching, huddled, and grieving, um, not able to go out. For so many, then and today, so much of life has lived in between Good Friday and Easter morning. And that Holy Saturday is a place that needs space and, and time um, because there is a place and time for that sort of grief. But then Easter Sunday morning, the women discover the most unexpected thing. They come to the tomb prepared to mourn their rabbi, to mourn their friend. They're prepared and ready to to take care of his body with their spices and to continue the mourning process. And they're bracing themselves for the pain of the moment, for the grief, for the stench that they're expecting as they would meet a body that's decaying. But instead, as they're ready faced with that reality of unspeakable cruelty of the cross and the violence of the Roman Empire, instead they're met by an empty tomb with an angel asking, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. They are shocked, bewildered, amazed. They can't figure this out. And according to whichever gospel account you're reading, they either dash right back to the house or, or Mary remains at the tomb in, in the gospel account of John. And as we've heard from our readings just now from all of our sparkers reading that account from Matthew 28, it is crazy. They don't quite know what to do. But at least in the accounts, all the, like, the women go and the women are the ones that are trusted with this eyewitness account with telling the disciples that he's not there, that he's risen. So they rush back to the disciples to share this completely nonsensical inane news. And everyone's reeling from it. And some disciples go back to investigate and others don't quite know what to do. And, and ultimately, Jesus will then go and appear to the disciples in the upper room. And he'll appear to some disciples on the road to Emmaus and explain how everything has been planned since the beginning for this moment to occur. And that this was what he was talking about, even though they didn't understand it when he spoke of it. And they're still not quite all getting it now. I mean, I love that it says that as they worship Jesus in the Galilee, when he appears, appears to them there on the shores that that they worship him, but some doubted, right? This is just amazing. And, And according to 1 Corinthians 15, we hear that Jesus was still appearing to crowds later on before this time, before he ascends up from the Mount of Olives, um, that he's appeared to 500 people. I mean, this is all just beyond what they've understood. But the Jesus followers come to believe this most shocking, scandalous claim that there's life after this crucifixion, that there's life after death, and that Jesus has risen again, that Jesus's death, burial, and resurrection have launched a revolution, that they have toppled empires of this world, and that Jesus is now bringing about a new kingdom with a new king. You see, without the resurrection, with only Good Friday and Holy Saturday, Jesus's followers would have concluded with shame and sorrow that he was just another failed messiah. It was just leading another rebellion that was crushed by the Roman Empire. 
and that nothing had changed, that the powers of the Caesars and of Rome and of the pagan overlords continued to rule. But the resurrection means that the darkest, strongest power in the world, the power of death itself, has been defeated. And the empires have lost their power and death has lost its sting. And this is exactly what Paul is preaching about in Ephesians chapter 1, as we've just read. Let's look at verses 20 through 21 again. Paul says that God put this power to work in Christ when God raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age to come. All of history. You see, the early followers didn't just believe this or just feel like this was a wonderful, surprise, happy ending to a very difficult weekend. They taught this to others. They lived differently because of it. And many of them died as a result of this outrageous claim that Jesus was Lord and Caesar was not. The interesting thing, you guys, is that the power of Jesus doesn't look anything like the Roman Empire or any other powers of history, does it? That's why we sort of cringe when followers of Jesus take up symbols and powers of empires, of governments, of political parties, and other powers in this world. Those are the opposite of what Easter's all about. It's not what Jesus is about. The resurrection power of Jesus upends completely all the other powers. The other powers can't stand alongside such a humble, sacrificial love. They rage at the idea of the of the last becoming first and the first becoming last. They rage at the idea of laying down lives and self-sacrifice or forgiving enemies or of lifting up the poor and the humble and the vulnerable and the powerless. They do not at all sing the song of Mary at the very beginning of Luke as she has looked at this child that is on his way and said he will bring down rulers from their thrones and let the the rich go away empty but the poor he'll fill up you see this revolution has been anticipated from the beginning but it doesn't look anything like what we would expect from the other empires of the day it's true y'all the empires still rage and they shout and they cause chaos and pain and destruction and even death. But the power of Jesus is stronger. The empires and the nations, they pass away. Rome has fallen, but the kingdom of God will never fade away. See, a different sort of power now on Easter Sunday has been unleashed into the world. Something happened that Easter Sunday. And as a result, the world is a different place. And when people are caught up in the meaning of the resurrection, They become part of this difference. The story of Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection is about God's upside-down kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. A resurrection's not just a surprise ending for Jesus' followers. It's ushering in a glorious new beginning, a new creation. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate victory, not one at the very end of this present age, but now it's one right in the middle of the present age. With suffering and wickedness still rampant all around, we are in the middle of the covenantal promise being fulfilled. We're in the middle of the yes in Christ and the yes that is still to come. Our hope 
is not a golden ticket to a heavenly amusement park in the sky, as we have said over and over and over again at Spark. We're not only trusting in what will come someday. Our hope is in the right now. Since the moment things went sideways in the garden with that sneaky snake, God has been seeking restoration and redemption of his relationship with his people, with creation. And our renewed human vocation found in the resurrection as God's image bearers were to bring about that renewed creation ourselves. Remember from the very beginning here in the book of Ephesians, we are chosen children of God, adopted into God's family, full inheritors of these covenantal promises. We're called sons and daughters of the king. We are a royal priesthood building God's kingdom. Jesus died for our sins, not just so that we could sort out abstract ideas or feel better about ourselves, but so that we, having now been put right with God, could become God of part of God's plan to put his whole world right through Christ, through the power of his Holy Spirit. He is risen. Something happened that Easter Sunday 2,000 years ago. A new power was unleashed into this world. It is death-defying, chain-breaking, idol-smashing, sin-destroying, empire-crushing, self-sacrificial power called love. And in Christ, love, self-sacrifice, forgiveness, and justice is the new reality. To say yes to Jesus' resurrection is to say yes to the new world of forgiveness won on the cross. It's to say yes to the new world launched into heaven and earth and on that Easter morning. And it's to say yes to the new creation begun with a power defined as love and humility and sacrifice. The resurrection of Jesus is the beginning of the final putting to rights of all things. In light of the resurrection, the church must never stop reminding the world and the world's rulers and authorities that they themselves will be held to account and that they are called to do justice and bring wise healing order to God's world ahead of that day. N.T. Wright says it this way, that those who want to depoliticize the resurrection must first dehistorize it, which of course is what people have been doing enthusiastically for many years, saying that this is just a nice, pretty idea, right? And that we wonder why then the church has sometimes sounded irrelevant. But we who celebrate our risen Lord today must bear witness to Easter, God's great act of putting right the yardstick for all human justice. Easter is about Jesus. Jesus, who announced God's saving sovereign kingdom, who died to exhaust the power of this world's rulers. Jesus, who rose again to be crowned as king over all things in heaven and on earth. And this brings us to the Lord's table. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six that whenever we eat this bread and drink this cup, we are announcing the Lord's death until he comes. Taking this cup announces Jesus's victory to the powers and the principalities. It confronts the shadowy forces that usurp control over God's good creation and over human lives with the news of their defeat. It shakes the dark powers that stand in the wings waiting for people to give them even a small bit of worship so that they can use that power to enslave. The bread-breaking meal of Jesus, this Lord's Supper, That Passover feast, this Jesus feast, 
announces to the forces of evil that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus has faced the powers of sin and death and beaten them. Jesus has been raised again to launch the new world in which death has no authority. Heavenly Father, please give us grace this day and from now on to live as Easter people, celebrating Jesus's love and joy at the table and making Jesus's kingdom and justice known in this world. Amen. On the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread, broke it, and said, This is my body, given for you. Whenever you eat this, do so in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup, lifted it, and said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Whenever you drink this, do so in remembrance of me. As always, Sparkers, the table is welcome. All are welcome at this table to continue to announce the amazing victory of Jesus and his victory over death.